we're walking through um, the book of the book of Mark, which is one of the four biographies of Jesus. Uh, these eyewitnesses who lived about three years with Jesus and told their story of what happened during their time time with him. And um, so today um, we're we're going to talk about bad people. Um, now, not, we're not going to be talking just about weak, marginalized people. We're going to be talking about um, people that, that have power and influence, and as a result of their decisions, for their gain, they cause loss to other people, people that make bad decisions that affect others adversely. What do you, what do, you do with them? I mean, have you ever thought to yourself, uh, you guys who are Christians, you've looked around at, at somebody that's... They wield power. Maybe they got wealth, and they're just a really bad person. And you're just like, man, not them. And they will never, they will never come to Jesus Christ. They would never be saved. They would never come to a place of full, of full surrender uh, to Jesus. And today is a story uh, about a guy that was like that. Um, and, I, and I want you to be thinking. I want you to put some, put some names and some faces to this today because... God's, God's going to do a work in us today that pushes us out of how do we deal with these people that are in our life. The, someone who's a, who's a, who's a jerk, um, a hateful woman maybe. Uh, um, somebody who's like, man, I've known them all their life. They, they were dealing drugs even back in middle school, you know. Um, someone you just think they will never change. Well, as I was studying through this passage, it just occurred to me that Jesus loves the mafia, and Jesus loves the out the outcasts. Jesus loves Sam Crow. Uh, Jesus Jesus loves criminals, but he doesn't leave them that way. Jesus loves sinners, but he doesn't leave them that way. Let's pray. God, uh, I thank you that you love sinners because. Right here, standing here, I, I am one. And, and what's amazing, God, is you don't call me that anymore. And one of the scriptures we'll hit today, Lord, we'll, we'll realize that, that we're not known uh, and identified by our sin anymore if you're, we're a Christian, even though we continue to sin. But we're not known as sinners anymore. But God, I know that I, I sin. And I'm on the same level playing field as as everybody else in this world, in this broken world, God. And I'm a person that I have a need for a Savior. And you've saved me, and I'm your own, and nothing will ever change that. But I need you today just as much as I did yesterday. I'll need you tomorrow just as much as I do today. And God, we want to have new eyes today to look at those around us that we may look and think they just they don't deserve forgiveness. They don't deserve mercy. And God, instead of looking through our eyeballs, Lord, we'll see through your eyes. And we'll see people as, as every person in our own minds I'm, to say, Lord, that they're either someone who's already been forgiven or they're going to be forgiven, at least from our perspective, that they're in the family or they're going to be in the family, and that we would just continue just persevering, Lord, uh, to bring them to Jesus, to tell them about Jesus and to try to be Jesus to them, God. Would you bless this time, Holy Spirit? I can't move anybody's heart. I can't. And I don't really want to, Lord. I don't want to tell stories that, that twist people's emotions and, and, and that, that presses people toward 
something that I'd like to see him do. God, I don't want that and we don't need that. But God, we need you to move us. Jesus, we want you to preach today, to proclaim. Holy Spirit, we need for you to come and transform us today. In fact, just take a moment. Every one of you, I just challenge you. And just kind of, you may even want to open your hands up just in a, in a posture of being open to God to say, God, transform me right now. And transform us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um, I've got to do something really quickly on here because I didn't get my settings right and this thing keeps shutting down on me. So y'all hang tight for me in just a second. Let me turn this lock off. All right, I think that we're good now. All right, uh, we're in Matthew, uh, oh, excuse me, we're, we're in Mark chapter, chapter 2, but um, before I get to that, I want to read to y'all uh, from Matthew chapter 9 and then Luke chapter 5. Because these are the parallel stories that are told about the choosing of Levi, which is also known as Matthew. And, uh, and there's, a, there's a couple of things that we'll come back and we'll note from these other passages that, we, that we're not getting uh, in, in Mark uh, that brings more color to the story. So starting in Matthew chapter 9, 9 to 13. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as, Jesus rec- and as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your te- teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when, they, when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, at the very end, we're going to unpack just really quickly what that phrase, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, means. And we saw it in the video just a little while ago, and it's a puzzling term. You know, what, what exactly does that mean? It doesn't sound quite right, but we'll, we'll get to that in just a little while. Let's go quickly to Luke chapter 5, 27 to 32. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with him. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, Let's get to uh, Mark chapter 2 and uh, read 13 to 17, and we're going to unpack this, okay? It said, He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And he, as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And, he reclined, and as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. All right, let's let's unpack uh, this first part, uh, verse 
13. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. Let's just start there, because again, Jesus was teaching all the time, all the time. And it doesn't say exactly what he was teaching, but we know what he consistently taught. He consists, consistently taught what is the subtitle of this, of this whole series in the book of Mark, which is, re, which is repent and believe in the gospel. You know, he would say, repent, the kingdom of God is near. Repent, turn from, turn from your ways, turn from your old worldview, turn to me, turn to God. Repent, believe in the gospel. He was teaching them. He was giving them truth. It says, as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. Let me start with this, that, it's, that Jesus is not a God that says, you got to get to me. you got to come to me. Because we would never come to him. Romans 3 says there's none good, there's none righteous, there's none who seek God. That's not you, not me. You guys who are Christians, before you were Christian, you did not seek God. At least not the real God. You sought your own God. You can talk, we can talk to people about, about God and spirituality, and we all have our own definitions, our own perspectives of, well, this is the God that I'd like, you know. We could just kind of create our own, own little mannequin to say, that's my God. You know, that's just as bad as, as chopping up wood and, and uh, making it an idol. And the Old Testament makes fun of those guys. Hey, with half of their wood, they, they cooked their food, and with half, they made a God. But that's what we do. But we don't seek the real God because we, we can't. Something has to change within us. And so we can't get to God, so God came to us. And Christians, listen to me. I, I hope that the DNA of this church will always be one that you will not be comfortable if you just come and hang out with other Christians and basically we hang out a shingle and say, well, maybe the sinners will come to us. That is not what God created the church for, and it's certainly not what Sojourn Church is about. Eric Robinson, just a little while ago, leading us in prayer, said this is important for us to know that. He said, I am a missionary and I am a minister. And if you're a Christian in here, it's, don't look up here at Dave and say, well, there's the pastor. That guy's, that guy's the minister. No, look around you and see all the ministers. Look around you and see all the missionaries. I don't care who signs your paycheck. God is your employer. God is your king. And he's the one that calls us into a mission field right where we are. And, and, and I love it. I love that it's right in the middle of the marketplace. Jesus loves the marketplace. The vast majority of us, that's, that's you guys. I mean, you're, you're in the marketplace or you're studying and preparing for the marketplace. You know, you're right in the middle of coworkers and, and some kind of a mission statement that, that your, your organization, your company has, and you're a part of helping to chase that down. Man, Jesus sets the example that says, look, go into the marketplace and draw them to me, all right? So wherever you are, you don't have to say, come and follow me. You just say, come and follow Jesus. Come and follow Jesus. But he's sitting there. It's Levi. And what's interesting is you have Mark and Luke. They both name him Levi. Matthew. He calls himself by the name Matthew. All right, we're going to get into that in just a minute because the name change is significant. So he was the son of Alphaeus. Um, we don't know exactly who this was. Uh, James the Lesser, his dad's name was Alphaeus too, but most likely they weren't brothers because Scripture doesn't, doesn't mean that. 
Alphaeus was a common name during this time. But he was a tax collector. Uh, this, isn't, this isn't just like being an IRS agent, as if everybody loves IRS agents anyway. But, but at least they're, they're legal uh, in, in the jobs that they do. Tax collectors basically meant everything that loan sharks you know, mean to us now. But with the added, the added idea that, that D.A. Carson said of, of just being a collaborator because it meant that they were working for the hated imperial power that was suppressing, suppressing them and, and also working for the local dictator for Herod, who was a turncoat Jew. So they hated these guys. Um, James Brooks, one of the commentators that I read in the New American Commentary, he said this. He said, this episode probably happened at Capernaum, where the first toll station would have been located for those coming from the small kingdom of Philip or the Decapolis, which was the League of Ten Cities, to the Tetrarchy of Herod Antipas. And said, he says that Levi was a minor official of the Jewish client king Herod Antipas and not a Roman tax collector. The tax collectors of Antipas were probably as much despised as the Romans for the same reasons. Dishonesty, intimidation, even use of force in their contact and friendship with, with Gentiles. So really what you need to think is you need to think mafia. And yet it's your own family, so to speak. You know, these guys who who'd sold out. All right, let me say this again. Jesus loves sinners, but he doesn't leave them that way. Look at the next part of verse 13. It says, Jesus said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him. The Luke 5 passage, verse 28, it says this. It says, and leaving everything, he rose and followed him. He left everything. Guys, this was a huge, a huge decision that right there on the spot, is being made by, by Levi. That something, something has changed this guy in, in an instant way. We were talking, we were praying earlier, and, just, and normally when we get together with the worship team and other people that are helping to lead, lead in our, our services, um, just ask them, so what do you know? you know? What do we know about grace? or What, what do we know about Jesus? And, and uh, one of the guys uh, said, said, man, Jesus heals instantly. You know? And instantaneously. And it's like, okay, there's something that has been healed. There's something that's been changed in the heart of Levi right now that was instant. It was on the spot. That we're told in, in the book of John that, that Jesus said, he said, I'm the good shepherd and my sheep hear my voice. When I call, they will come. There's no, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. When the good shepherd calls your name, when he, when he looks and he grabs your heart, you come. Because we all do what is the greatest thing to us. So there's some kind of an aha moment took place in Levi. And he didn't get it all. He didn't understand everything. Just like someone who's brand new as a Christian. They don't understand all of it. They just know, Jesus, Jesus, I got I to gotta follow Jesus. He left everything. And, and see, guys, I mean, this is a little different than even when, when he called you know, Peter and Andrew and the other fishermen where, where they did the same thing. They, they immediately got up and they left everything, which was a big deal. But guess what? Those guys could go back to fishery, fishing. When, when, Levi, when Levi said, I'm leaving my table, I'm leaving my booth, he basically said, I'm switching teams. 
I can't go back. There's no turning back. The bridges were burnt when he did that. Immediately, he was on some kind of a hit list. And I don't mean necessarily they're out to kill him, but I mean, but he had switched teams right then and right there. He left everything. He rose and followed him. And God calls us to that. That is what it means to be a Christian, you guys. Listen to me. Our objective is not to make converts. Our objective is to make disciples. You know what that means? A a convert could be someone, to use that word loosely, who they walked an aisle as a kid. They're baptized as an infant. They've been a member of first whatever church, you know, since they were in mama's womb, you know. That they've been always been a part of it. And so they look back. And they're just like, well, that's, yeah, I've just always been or I, because of this and that and all that. But they don't love Jesus and they don't follow Jesus. They don't have a heart for Jesus. That's someone who they may call themselves a convert, but they're not a disciple. They're not someone who's following Jesus. Right here in the Bible Belt, we're, we're full of that, you guys. Uh, it's a lot like the first century with the Jews and, and, and the movement of what Christianity brought among a religious people, among a people who thought they had it together. They thought that they loved God, or at least they said that they did. And yet, God's like, no. Jesus is like, no. You've got to follow me. Follow me. It's a big, big difference. Um, our journey group, uh, we talked through a scripture just the other day, Luke nine fifty seven to 62, says this, As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And then to another person, he said, Follow me. But that person responded, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And that sounds like real compassionate speech, you know. Right? Gentle Jesus. Maybe he's not exactly who you thought he was. Another one said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said back to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. All these folks had had some, seems like legitimate things. Like, you know, I, I need to do these things. And yet what they were is they were obstacles to where Jesus said, Your heart... Your heart has not changed. You've not fully surrendered. You don't fully trust me. You're going to those things first. There are issues of comfort, issues of security, or, 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 secu- or, or um, stuff that you have, or issues of relationships, or power, or influence, or name. To say, no, I, I got to do these things first. I got to go here first. And God's like, no. If you want, basically, if you want those to be your God, have at it. If you want money or fame or, or, or uh, your relationships, sex, whatever it may be, if you want that to be your God, go for it. Let's see how that works for you. And he loves us enough that he stays with us and chases us down when we see that seeking these other broken gods never satisfy, never satisfy. They're They're tools. All these things can be used for good and used for God's glory. They make good servants, but they make miserable masters. 
Jesus says, come and die. Come, give everything, give up everything. Don't expect comfort, rather expect rejection and expect pain. Who's in? Quite a sales call, isn't it? But that's it. That is what the call to Christianity means. That's what it means to be a disciple, to follow him, is that we follow him to the cross that we give up everything, we, we let go of everything, place everything in to his, into his hands. And, you know, so many people, upon hearing that from God, they're basically like, I'm good. It's all right, you know, just keep doing, your, keep doing your thing, Jesus. Way to go. I'm good. Got to lay it all down. Lay it all down. On the positive side, when we lay everything down, we, it's saying that we lay down everything we've collected, all that we've accomplished, that we think we've accomplished. We lay down dreams, lay down agendas, and basically say, Jesus, do what you want with everything that's in my hands. Everything. I don't own them anymore, Jesus. Take what you want, leave what you want, I'm no longer master. But it's not only about about leaving everything that's good, but here's what's so beautiful about this story and how it impacts yours and my story. Have you thought about the other side of the coin? That it also means you get to lay down the bad stuff? Now think about it. Think about your history. Think about the last 10 years. Think about this last week and how the brokenness of yourself spewed out in your life somehow and manifested itself. To lay all the bad down. This is what Matthew considered. This guy had no reputation left except that of being a greedy traitor. So not only did he lay down any good thing, good thing, he laid down all the dung. He said, you know what? I'll leave all of this too. That, that's the side of the great news of Christ that a lot of people miss. It's that God will take the bad stuff. He takes all of you and follow Jesus. Um, again, the guy's name at, at some point was Levi. It's his given name. And as you think about it, he was named after, well, he was named after the people of God, the Jews. But even among the chosen people of God, the Jews, there was the chosen tribe among the chosen people, the Levites, that these guys were the priests. These were the guys that were supposed to really connect the rest of the people of God to God himself. He was named after a group of people that were to bring blessing and to be a blessing, and he did not live up to his name. You know what the truth is? We're all born with the name Levi. All of us are born with the expectancy of go and be perfect because God can only expect perfection. And none of us are. It's the horrid case of the human condition that this world is broken and you are broken and I am broken. And God could have left us with the name Levi. He didn't owe us anything. Matthew, when he writes this biography, he doesn't call himself Levi. 
calls himself Matthew. Do you know what the word Matthew is? Anybody in here know what Matthew means? It means gift from God. Gift from God. Can anybody think of a word that kind of sounds that would be that 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 would be a definition of a gift from God? Anybody? Huh? Salvation? Yeah. What else? Grace. Yeah. Salvation's a gift from God. Grace is a gift from God. He renamed the guy Grace, basically. He renamed the guy Salvation. He's reminding him, look, you're no longer who you were because I've changed you and I've enabled you to come and to follow me. Jesus loves sinners. He doesn't leave them that way. It's a new name. New name. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 kind of talks about how God views us once we're, we're Christians. It says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit, inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. All right, let's stop there for just a second. None of these will. And you look at this list, and there's some other lists like that, and guess what? Every one of us are on one of the lists. Every one of us. Because Levi is attached to this. Everyone is a Levi. Every one of us are known by our sins. And that's how we're called. But look at verse 11. And such were some of you. But, and look at that. It's huge what takes place right in the middle of this. But you were washed and you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Basically, he's saying, look, this is who you were, but God, I came, and I, and I, I changed your name. I gave you a new heart. I brought you into my family. You're no longer Levi. You're now grace. You're now a gift from God. You've received the gift from God, and now you can actually be a gift from God to others. That's how God changes us. And we're known now as a Matthew instead of a Levi. Even though some, we still do some of these things on here, it's not our name. It's not our name anymore. Verse 15. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Now, Luke five twenty nine. Uh, this is where it says, And Levi made him a great feast in his house. There was a large company, a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. Matthew 9.10, again, just says, Many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Guys, Jesus loves outlaws. But he doesn't leave them as outlaws. Now, note, what, we're not saying that you hang around a criminal in the midst of them breaking breaking the law. That's not what we're saying here. Jesus wasn't at a big frat party, you know, doing keg stands. That's not what Jesus was doing. He was there and he was telling them and inviting them to himself. You don't, you don't have to stay at the party when they break out the weed or the coke, okay? That's not being missional. Jesus' example is is that he called them to follow him, and then he walked that out with them. Guys, listen. Walk 
Walk with those who want to walk with Jesus or with you. There's some unbelieving friends that they're not going to get the deity of Christ yet, but they want to walk with you. Be very free. Just know that, man, there's some people that they're not going to want to walk with Jesus or you. Don't force it. Let it go. Trust God. He's in charge. But have your eyes open to the ones that want to walk with Jesus or want to walk with Jesus in you and walk with them. Walk with them. When they have a bad reputation, walk with them anyway. The, uh, the word sinners here could have been translated outcasts. And Jesus modeled something tremendous. And he did it not alone but he did it with his disciples. He said the disciples were right there with him. He brought them into this scandalous grace living that he was in the middle of. Now we actually, it, it, appears, it appears that this was, this was uh, Levi's, Matthew's house. It appears that way. In the Greek, it's actually not all that clear. And it's, it's okay. It, because more than likely, it's, it's either it's either. Um, Matthew's house, or it's the the home of where Jesus was, which probably would have been Peter's Peter's house. And it's good to be able to, to think about both of these things because we know Jesus had an example of having people in the home he stayed, and also going to people's home. And this makes this makes all the difference in the world that we would not only be people that we invite people into our homes who aren't believers but that we would also go to the homes, that we would reciprocate, that when they offer, that we don't say, no, 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 how about y'all come to my house? It's like, okay, huh? yes, yes, I accept. I accept. It's an, it's an honoring thing. It's an, you honor people when you invite them into your home, and you honor people as well when you say yes and you go into their home. Think about the people God has around you. And is there anyone, is there anyone that they have invited you into their home? There's someone that they, they desire to pursue you or pursue Christ, and you've said, absolutely not. Absolutely not. All right? Again, a distinguishment. I'm not talking about people that they're in the middle of sin and rebellion, and, and they are ones that they, they're causing internal destruction, and they're causing destruction from others. There's a time and a place to cut off, cut off ties and to cut off things, to love them by saying, I'm not going to get near enough for you to destroy me or, or yourself. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about people that want to either walk with Christ or they want to walk with you. And so make that distinguishment and, and, uh, and see what God wants to do in your life. Um, Tom uh, Constable, in talking about the hospitality that's being shown here, he said, when someone invited someone else to eat with him, he was extending a pledge of loyalty and protection to that person. To accept an invitation to dinner implied a willingness to be a close friend of the host. This is big. Acceptance protection, friendship, are you willing to go there? Are you willing to really open up your life to a few? This is very practical, guys, in what we talk about what missional living is. Getting people to your kitchen table or going to their kitchen table. Inviting people into their space. Guys, please don't, don't glaze over in here. This is real practical. There's a name or a face, I believe, that needs that needs to be seared into all of us today. Who is it? 
Who is it that you need this week that you need to contact them and you need to invite them into your, to your kitchen table? Who is it? And I challenge you, direct application, that another friend in, in, in sojourn or someone else that you say, you know what, hey, God revealed to me, I need to invite this person. You tell it by name and you say, I want you to hold me accountable that in the next 10 days that I have them into my, uh, to my kitchen table, all right? Is there anybody that you're, you're willing to, all right, you're, you're like, all right, I'm, I'm up for this challenge. Anybody? Come on. Come on. Come on. I'll wait. Anybody else? Let's do it. Let's do it. An invitation, well, excuse me, the, it's, there is a hospitality in inviting unbelieving friends to where your family eats. Now, by the way, there's also a hospitality in inviting your unbelieving friends to come where your spiritual family eats. That's here. It's a hospitality. You're saying, I, am, I, I would love for you to be in more of my inner circle. I'd love for you to see what's the depth of my heart. And you invite them. Be hospitable. Invite friends into your space. And guys, an invitation is a statement that's made about what you feel about another person. A non-invitation is also a statement that's made about how you feel about someone. And here in the Bible Belt, I'm telling you, not, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't want, I don't want us to all grab our, pack our guilt bags and, and take them, but I'm just telling you, out of love, there are people in your life, if you're not an invitational pe- person, there are people that are in your life, they're unbelievers, that they wonder what's wrong with them, that you would never invite them into your home or that you never invite them to your church. And so let's be an invitational per- person, an invitational people. Verse 16, the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Tax collectors and sinners. In their mind, they're like, man, these are the bad, unclean people. They looked and in their self-righteousness. They define bad and unclean as what you do or what you do not do. They also define bad and unclean as who you associate with or who you do not associate with. You guys heard it. You remember? Don't smoke, don't chew. Yes. Don't hang out around with those that do. You know the irony of this, you guys? is the Pharisees were telling Jesus that he was not godly because he hung around with these people. And what Jesus modeled was, you're not godly if you don't hang around with sinners. Let's unpack this self-righteousness a little bit more because I need it because I'm that guy at times. Self-righteousness basically says, I'm okay because I'm not like them. You know, Jesus actually told a story that involved a Pharisee and a tax collector. Let's go there real quick. Luke 18, 9 to 14. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into a temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed this. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. 
But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but those who humble himself will be what? Exalted. Self-righteousness does not need a relationship with, with God. All it needs is a ruler to compare self to others. That's all you need. Self-righteousness sees itself as being well and being whole, not sick and in need of, of a physician. Hmm. Now, guys, this self-righteousness is just another form of idolatry that's in our life. Functional saviors that in your own life, in my own life, basically say, where we say, I'm okay because I do not blank. Or I'm okay because I don't associate with blank. I'm okay because I'm not like that person over there. That's self-righteousness and it reveals idols in our life. And God says, you don't need any of those. Tear them down. Tear them down. You were not righteous. That's why I came. I came because I love sinners. God, Jesus loves sinners, but he doesn't leave them that way. Verse 17. When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick... I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And there's a stiff irony in what Jesus was saying to them. The Pharisees were self-righteous. And so Jesus called them righteous, quote-unquote, with his tongue firmly in his cheek. But but there's a deep theological truth that's that's within this, you guys. Those who reject Jesus and stand on their own righteousness are in a dangerous, dangerous position. At some point in our life, we must look in the mirror, call that guy sinner, and cry out to the mercy of Jesus. We must. And I just challenge you, if, if you're one of our friends, that you're just like, man, I don't need Jesus, I'm okay, I'm good. No, you're not. You're not good in any stretch of the imagination. You need Jesus. Look in the mirror and just admit it. Just say, I'm a broken sinner and I make a sucky Savior. And turn your eyes to Jesus and bow down before Him. You know, this part in which He says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is basically Jesus unpacking what He was saying when He said to, to, to Matthew, Follow me. This is what it means to follow Jesus. It means that Jesus calls you to Himself, is that Jesus changes your heart, and that Jesus changes a person's life. It's holistic. It's something that takes care of a person's past. It's something that changes their present. And it's something that secures their future forever and ever. It's a total change when Jesus says, follow me. We come to Christ. He changes our heart. And He changes our life. Again, an irony that the righteous feel no need for a Savior I see myself as righteous. I'm good. The sinners are those who recognize that they're sinners in need of something. And of course, Jesus says, I'm the Savior that you need. Remember that phrase that said, 
I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Well, that section we just read about the Pharisee and the tax collector praying, that exemplifies and really unpacks what desiring mercy, not sacrifice, means. It's one in which we don't, we don't keep a tally sheet of all the stuff that we've done, all the sacrifices that we've made. It's one where our heart is, I need mercy, and our heart's also been changed that says, I must give mercy to others. That we would outwardly proclaim love for God to others. Uh, Let me just give you guys some final thoughts and just for us to wrap our heads around all of this. Where where are you self-righteous? Where in your life, where in your life are you living by the ruler? I'm okay because I'm not like this person, or I'm okay because I do these things, or I'm okay because I don't do these things. Where is it? It's important. Um, it's important that we we reject. We reject the concepts of not that guy. That we don't look around in our minds and say, that guy would never come to Christ. That in our eyes, everybody's open to the grace of God. And it's all we can do is invite, and God's the one that's got to do the rest. But, but we also reject not only the, the not that guy, but we also reject the not me. That we also don't, don't look and just say, well, God, I'm too bad. I've done too many things. Dave, if you just really knew what I did when I was a young adult. Dave, if you really knew how many abortions that I, that I had. And Dave, if you really knew how, what a, how much I've, I've, I, I cheated on my spouse. Or if you really knew, if, if people really knew I'd, I'd, I'd been married before. I mean, the list just goes on and on of all these things that we just say, I'm too bad God could never love me. I, want, I challenge you to let that go today. That you would not be so arrogant to think that your sin is bigger than Jesus. It's not bigger than the cross. The cross is bigger than anything that you can do. Stand in the shadow of the cross and just say, God, not only do I give you, do I, do I turn from everything and, and give you the, the good things, I, I give you all the bad as well. And he pays for it all. Jesus loves sinners. But he doesn't leave him that way. Jesus told Levi, follow me, and he left everything and followed Jesus. Christians in here, today you need to do that. We need to do that every day. That we need to rise up, leave everything, and follow Jesus. Every day, placing everything at the foot of the cross. Every day. Every day. Maybe you need to write that on your mirror at home. Maybe you need to put it on an index card and stick it in your pocket. Maybe you need to put it in your iCal to where it reminds you at 9.30 a.m. every day, rise up, leave everything at the cross, and follow Jesus. Everything. To where we put every, we're continually reminding ourselves, I don't own me. I don't own anything that I have. It's free for you to take. It's free for you to give. God, my life is not my own. And, and my prayer is that there may be somebody in here today or even listening to this someday in the future that, man, God just got a hold of your heart right now and today in which you say, I'm leaving everything. I'm leaving my doubts behind. 
I'm leaving the things I think I was sure about, but I'm not so sure anymore. I'm leaving my thoughts of how good I am behind. Or I'm leaving my thoughts of how bad I think I am behind. Because Jesus is big enough to take care of all that. Let's pray, and then in a minute we're going to take communion. Lord, uh, you still work in our lives right now. Um, transform us, God. We, we need you. Um, help us, help every single person in here, Lord. Youngest to the oldest, just right now, just to say, God, I, I'm leaving everything. I'm, I'm, I, I leave it at your feet. I place everything at your feet. And I want to follow you, Jesus. I, I want... I want to love you more than anything else. I want to love you more than anything I pursue. Anything that's been in my hands, God, I want, I want to desire you more than I desire that. Any material possession, any position of authority, any relationship that we have, any skill set that we have, physical health, the lack of physical health, the great things that we've accomplished that we feel good about, and even the horrible things we've done, we place them all at the feet of the cross and just say, God, you bought them all. You bought them all. God, do a great work in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.